Okay, church, today we are going to begin our study in the book of Jonah. Being a uh, historical narrative, we will obviously move through the verses quicker than you're going to go into in a New Testament letter. Although today we're only going to cover three verses because we're going to talk for a few moments about just uh, introductory material to the book of Jonah. The book never says, but probably... uh, more than likely was written by Jonah. Jonah was the author. Um, the, the Bible, Jesus does mention Jonah in the New Testament a few different times in the different Gospels, but, but other than, than the book of Jonah, what we have here, the only other time he's mentioned in the Bible, other when Jesus, other than when Christ mentions him, is in 2 Kings 14.25. And we can see there that he was, a, he was indeed a prophet, he was a prophet during the reign of wicked King Jeroboam II. And he was king from 793 to 753 B.C. So this gives us an idea of when Jonah uh, ministered as a prophet. And this made him a prophet. He was a prophet to the northern tribes of Israel. And if you go back and read that text, you can see that he was actually a prophet uh, prophesying their prosperity in a way that their borders would be extended and so obviously God calls him here to go to a different nation. So, so really the important thing about the book of Jonah, the, the theme of the book, I think if you had to sum it up would be this, God's mercy and forgiveness. We're going to see that God is a very merciful God as we go throughout Jonah. And I think it's important to remember this, that He's, that he's merciful and forgiving the phrase, not just for us, but to them. Okay? Think of, um, think of 1 John chapter 2 when John says in his little letter that, that Christ died not only for our sins but for the sins of the whole world. Meaning, not only for our sins as the nation of Israel but for all the nations. We're going to see the same theme in this book. So God is a merciful God not just for us, not just for Jonah. He's going to be very merciful to Jonah as we'll see but also to the pagan sailors in the boat that we just read about, and obviously the nation, or the the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was founded by Nimrod. You can see that in Genesis 10, verses 6 through 12, who was the great-grandson of Noah. Probably the largest city in the ancient world, Nineveh, uh, which... uh, Interestingly enough, was eventually destroyed about 150, 150 years later in 612 BC. So God did end up judging Nineveh, but He did spare them, as we'll see, through Jonah's preaching. And, and you can read about in the book of Nahum, the prophet Nahum is the one who prophesies against Nineveh, the destruction of Nineveh. So Nahum is a prophet prophesying the destruction of Nineveh, which happened about 150 years later. The book also reveals, uh, we talked about it, 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 it really reveals the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, but it also reveals God's sovereignty. That God is a God who is in control. He is in control over, over man and over His entire creation. And so we just, we just read that. Obviously, we'll talk about those things more when we come to them, but we see God being in control of, for example, the weather, okay? 
So, so we can learn so much. That's the thing about going through God's Word verse by verse is you learn so much about the nature of God. Okay, so when we see the weather doing this or doing that, we don't have to wonder, is God involved? God is in control of the very weather. He is in control of all things. He is in control of the very smallest of His creatures, right? He notices when a sparrow falls to the ground. And so our God is, is in control. And I am thankful that God is in control of all things. Uh, Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah in uh, Matthew 12. And I, well, I believe He mentions it in all three of the, the uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He mentions the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah being in the fish three days as a type of Christ. If you want to know how Jonah is a type or a symbol of Christ, it's that he was in the belly of the fish three days as Christ was buried for three days. We'll actually talk about that next week. Next week being Resurrection Sunday, I thought we could just stay with the theme of Jonah and we'll talk about the sign of Jonah. So we'll, we won't necessarily continue in verse 4 next week. We'll talk about the sign of Jonah. Talk about how Christ uh, linked that to His resurrection. What was important about that, when Jesus mentioned that to the Pharisees, is that Nineveh repented at the preaching of this reluctant at best, but really prejudiced and racist prophet. We see Nineveh repenting at the preaching of this man who didn't even want to do it. While the Pharisees, in Jesus' day, they refused to repent at the preaching of Christ, the greatest prophet. So he'll tie that together for us when we look at that. This is a, or there is a, there's a debate obviously among scholars. Your more, you know, left-leaning liberal scholars will, will will say that this is an allegory or a parable, the book of Jonah, as compared to whether it's an historical narrative. And and you may ask why would they think that? I think it's real easy because of all the miracles that we see in the book of Jonah. Somebody who doesn't believe that this really is, you know, the word of God, that God works miracles, that He is a that we see Him doing supernatural things, they're gonna they're gonna be lean more towards ah, that's just a parable, that's just a uh, an allegory. But listen to the list of miracles that we, we just read about, but listen to these miracles, and these are many of the reasons why liberal theologians doubt that this is a historical narrative. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4, the Lord, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. Chapter 1, verse 7, the lot fell on Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 15, the sea stopped its raging. Chapter 1, verse 17, and of course this would be the biggest one, the Lord appointed a great fish, right? He was in the belly of the fish. That, that gets a lot of mockery in our day, in our world. Um, chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 10, God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way. In other words, that an entire city like this, they, they, it, it, it's, it's called really the biggest, maybe the biggest revival ever. And that, and that, that, that could happen from one man preaching the way he did. So obviously that would be considered a miracle. Um, Chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord appointed a plant. Verse 7, the Lord appointed a worm. And verse 8, God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, for us, who we believe that this is the Word of God, right? And that 
It's not, it's not hard to believe that, uh, uh, that God appointed a large fish to swallow a man. Because what else do we know God did? He created the universe, right? He created all things. If He created all things, He can cause a, a fish that's big enough to swallow a man. He can, he can appoint a worm. He can, he can appoint a wind. He can appoint a plant. These things are nothing. God created all things in Genesis 1, ex nihilo. You know what that means? Out of nothing. He spoke and it came into existence. So these things are just examples of God doing what only God can do. Stepping into, into His creation. So these things should not be uh, difficult for us as, as, as the people of God to, uh, to accept. And so Jonah is historically, to answer the question, is it a parable? Is it an uh, allegory? Jonah is historically identified as having lived in the 8th century B.C. He is an historical character. And it is obviously, when we read it, it's recorded in a narrative form. Who told more parables than anybody in the New Testament? Jesus did. And, so, and Jesus obviously did not teach this as a parable or an allegory. And we'll, find, we'll find out that more next week. But as historical, he, he talks about the man Jonah. He teaches that, and, and that's enough, right? If Jesus says it's true, it's true. That's all I need. He teaches that as historical, and even more important than that, an historical illustration of what? Of His literal resurrection. So He doesn't just talk about it as historical, but He ties it to His literal resurrection. And so, and then lastly, by way of introduction, uh, something that's pretty interesting that I found out reading, there were, there were two plagues back during this time, one in 765 and one in 759 B.C., Two major plagues, and then a solar eclipse in 763 BC. So these three major accounts could have aided, really, in preparing the people for Jonah's message. Right? God does that. God does that. He uses things like plagues or, or, or something just really magnificent like a solar eclipse that these Ninevites could have seen. That God could have used, right? And then Jonah here comes preaching about this, the Creator God. And so these things could have been used in God's providence to help these people, to help prepare these people for the message they heard from Jonah about the God of Israel. The one who had parted the waters and, and, and set the Israelites free. The, the, the God of power. And so in this book, guys, before we start verse 1, uh, we should see... The compassion of God, okay? Keep your... As we go through this book for the next few weeks, just keep your eyes out, I guess you could say, just how compassionate God is. And so we want to examine our own compassion. As we go through this, this, this story, is our compassion going to be more in line with God's compassion? Or is it going to be more in line with, with Jonah's compassion? Um, especially in regards to maybe people who aren't like us. As we're going to see, Jonah, he had some issues. He had some issues, but God still used him. And so with that being said, guys, I'm going to read. I'm not going to have you stand. You guys just stood for the whole, uh, the whole story. But I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And then we will look at it. 
Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You, Lord, for uh, Your Word. We thank You for everything that's recorded in it. Father, we thank You for this story of Jonah that You have put in Your canon of Scripture, Lord, that we can learn, that we can um, glean from. These things are written for our benefit. And Father, I just pray that You would help us today, Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, to to glean what You would have us to glean from Your Word. And I ask ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main point today, the main point of the theme of today's message as I as I uh, put this sermon together, would be this. That Jonah's sin, okay? So, so this is what I would want you to remember. And we'll come back to this at the end and really emphasize it. Jonah's sin has blinded him to the honor and privilege that he's been given. Okay? His sin has blinded him so the, that he, he can't see clearly or he can't even remember or he doesn't recognize Really the honor and the privilege that God is giving him. Okay, so we'll come back to that at the end. So in verses 1 and 2, we just have two points today. Very, very simple. We're going to look at, in verses 1 and 2, the Lord's divine command. The Lord's divine command. And then in verse 3, we'll look at Jonah's disobedient response. Okay? Jonah's divine command, or... uh, God, the Lord's divine command, Jonah's disobedient response. The title of the message is Jonah's Rebellion. So in verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So he says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This phrase is used over 100 times in the Old Testament. Uh... I believe it was R.C. Sproul that had the number at 112, but, but over 100 times this phrase is used. And this describes the giving of a divine message to a prophet of God from the Lord. So it's a, it's a common thing that you'll see in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came. And again, it means the divine message given to the prophet of God. And so being a prophet of God, we already looked at that, 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 that Jonah is a prophet of God. Uh, it talked about him and being a prophet to the nation of Israel in, in 2 Kings. Being a prophet of God, this obviously wasn't the first time that he heard this. Okay, It's important that we understand that. He wasn't surprised by this, the word of the Lord coming to him. He had heard these things before. wasn't his first time. We know he's been used by the Lord again prophesying of the expansion of Israel's border in 2 Kings 14.25. So he understood what the Lord was saying to him. Okay, There was no confusion. Lord, did I hear you right? No, he knew exactly what the Lord was saying to him. And you know, to, to make application to our lives, guys, sometimes we try to... Maybe spend too much time, I would especially say in, in, in reform circles, people who really, they want to take the Word of God serious. Sometimes we can try to 
figure out too much. Man, we try to we try to figure out the deep things of God and neglect or don't even obey that which is clear. So that's real important to understand. This is a clear command to Jonah. He knows exactly what he's saying. It says the Word of God came to Jonah. Does the Word of God come to you and I? Yes, now not like we're not a prophet of God like the Old Testament prophets were or the, or the apostles of the New Testament. But the Word of God obviously comes to us through recorded Scripture, right? So we do have the Word of God. The Word of God does come to us. And as we're going to see, guys, Jonah flat out rejects and disobeys the Lord's command. So you know what Jonah? You know what's happening here with Jonah? When we see him uh, in verse three, we're going to look here in a minute when he when he disobeys God. You know what he's doing here? He is being a hearer only. He he is hearing the word of God, but he's not obeying. Right? What does James tell us in his letter? But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. Jonah's hearing the word. But he's not doing what he said. And James says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And as we're going to see, Jonah is deluded. He is very confused, very deluded from some of the decisions that we see him make. And so what is this command? This command that, that, that the Lord gives Jonah. It's a, look at verse 2. Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So, so, the, so the command is this. The command that the Lord gives Jonah is this. First of all, arise. Arise. That's very important. He's not telling Jonah necessarily to stand up, get up on your feet. That, that word is used, in other words, for a, for a prompt or an immediate response. That's what he's saying. Go to Nineveh. Or, Go to Nineveh, Jonah. And do it now, in other words, is what he's saying. The Lord is expecting him to respond quickly. Don't delay, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. That's the command. Very easy to understand. And so anytime that we have a... uh, I've heard this stated. I don't don't know who came up with it. I'm obviously not... This is not original with me, but... But anytime we have a very clear command from God, something that's clear, that we know what He wants us to do, um, I've heard the phrase, do you know what delayed obedience is? Really, disobedience. And so we've got to be real careful. When we know that God has commanded us to do something, guys, we, we don't want to respond like Jonah does. Again, this was very clear. Go to Nineveh. Arise. Promptly, go to Nineveh. Think of modern day Iraq, that part of the world. The great city. He says, he said, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. It's been said probably around 600,000 people in this city. That's a large city. And we read, we read in the text that it took, it, it took him three days to cross it on foot. Walls a hundred feet high in this city. Circling the city. I believe I read, I didn't have it written down, but I believe I read that the walls were wide enough to, to ride a chariot around it. And I think it said three chariots side by side. 
This was a massive city with a massive wall. And, and, and think of it like this. It's not just the walled city, but it's the surrounding region. Think of, you know, you have Oklahoma City, but you have Dell City, Midwest City, Moore, all really as part of Oklahoma City. So, so this, this place was huge. And the Lord was telling Jonah, go to this place. So it's, but, it's, but it wasn't only a great city, and we'll look at this a little more later, it was a heathen, wicked city, this Nineveh. Very wicked. And so what was he to do? What was Jonah do when he got there? Was he just to walk around and ask people's opinions? Hey, what do you think about God? You know, what, what do you think about God? What do you think about sin? Is this sin for you? This is, that's not what he was asked to do. He was not asked, or he was not commanded to ask people's opinions. He was not commanded to give his opinion. No, he says in verse 2, the Lord says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Cry against it. You know what that means? Beloved, that means preach. He was commanded to go preach. Jesus even talks about Jonah in Matthew 12, 41, talking about Jonah's preaching. Okay? He was to go preach. He was a prophet of God. And He was sending him to preach, to cry out against Nineveh. Matthew Henry says, He must not whisper His message in a corner. God's not calling Jonah, go to Nineveh. And just find somebody in the corner who's maybe interested to hear what you have to say. He's saying, Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry against it. But Matthew Henry, he says, he must not whisper his message in a corner, but publish it on the streets of Nineveh. That's what he was assigned to do. And so we know that he was what he was commanded to preach. He says, cry against it. But we know, we know just by looking at at the text of Scripture, and obviously knowing Scripture as a whole, what he was commanded to preach, and we know by the very next phrase, he says, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Why? For their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah is being commanded by God, obviously, when you're talking about Go and cry against this city. Go and preach against this city. Why? Because of their wickedness. Because of their sin. There is no doubt that Jonah is being told to go preach a message of repentance. That was his message. A message of repentance. Their wickedness has come up before me. And beloved, it's no different than the message we've been given as the church of Jesus Christ. If you think about Matthew 28... The Great Commission, which we'll look at a little later, it tells us what we are to do, right? Christ has all authority, so we're to go and make disciples. Mark's account says, preach the gospel to the whole creation. Luke's account of the Great Commission gives us a little bit more insight as to what our message is. And he says this in Luke 24, 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. So the message hasn't changed. Repentance is always at the heart of the prophet in the Old Testament, of the apostles in the New Testament, and as the people of God. The message to the world is one 
centered around repentance, which is simply a turning from sin to God, to Christ. It's not just giving up bad habits. It's not just turning from something, but it, as important or more important, it's who you're turning to. And you're turning to the one true God. And so he says this phrase, it has come up before me. Cry against it. Cry against Nineveh. For their wickedness has come up before me. Literally it means, it's come up to my face. It's come up to my face. It's the same language that he used, that the Lord used of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18, 20 and 21. He says, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to, the, to its outcry, which has come up to me. So it's just this whole language of really God coming to the place where the sin has run its course in a sense and judgment's coming. That's really what that phrase means. Obviously, God sees all sin everywhere, all the time. But it's the Lord. This is real important to remember here, this point, guys, right here. As, as we see the Lord giving Jonah this command to go and preach... To go and preach this message, which would be a very fearful thing, if we'll just be honest with ourselves. But this is so important to remember. Where he says that, that their, their outcry or their wickedness has come up before me. In other words, I see what's going on. The Lord is the one who sees their wickedness, okay? He sees their wickedness. Does he not see all wickedness? Right? No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So God sees all. But He is the one who tells Jonah He sees their wickedness. And He is the one who is sending Him. Okay, Jonah is not commanded to go on his own authority. It's the Lord who is sending Him. In other words, okay, this is really important to remember, guys. Jonah will be going not under his own autonomous authority, Right? He's not, he's not being asked to go on this really just overwhelming mission when you think about it. To go to a city like this, and we'll speak to it in a minute how big it is, how wicked it is. No, he's going under whose authority? Yahweh's. The Lord's authority. Why is this important? Listen to what John Calvin says. And then, we'll, and then we'll make application to our lives. He says, God strengthens His servant, Jonah, as though He said, Thou wilt not, as an individual, have to contend with them. But I constitute thee as My herald to summon them to My tribunal. And no doubt it must have served much to animate Jonah that he had not to deal with the Ninevites as an individual, but as the messenger of God. You see that? There's a big difference. Asked to do a mission like this to know, okay, I'm not going on my own authority. Yeah, I happen to have the creator of the universe, his authority. That makes a big difference. And it's no different with us, beloved. No different. It's no different with us. We preach with whose authority? Christ's authority. Christ's authority. 
Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Jesus says this. Remember, this is the last thing He said to His disciples before He ascended to heaven, known as the Great Commission. All authority. How much authority? You guys say it. All authority. How much authority does He have? One more time. All authority. Jesus has all authority. And it's real important what He says there. He says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. And then He says, Go therefore. Why go? Therefore, and do what I told you to do because I have all authority. You're not going on your own authority. You're going on My authority. Which is exactly what, it, exactly what happened with Jonah. The Great Commission, guys, is an impossible task when you think about it. I mean, he started off just telling this to his disciples. Just a handful of guys. A handful of clumsy, doubtful, fearful men just like us. And he said, I want you to take this message to the world. Why? Because I have all authority and I'm sending you. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's the same for us. You and I today, we have real fears about communicating a message that we know a lot of people is not going to want to hear. But guys, let this be your comfort. He's given you authority. Or I mean, he's, you're going on His authority. You're not going on your own. I remember, at, I remember at a, I've had that asked. I've, I've had that question asked to me multiple times, but I remember one year in particular, uh, over a decade ago at the Oklahoma City Arts Festival. And um, it was a little Nineveh-like, some of the responses. But uh, just trying to share the gospel with guys, and some guys became incredibly angry. And that was the exact question they had. They said, how dare you? Who gives you the authority to tell people this message you're telling them. And my answer was very clear. You know what I said. Jesus Christ gives me the authority. This is not my authority. I mean, I would not want to go tell a message like a gospel message that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And you're not going to make it to heaven apart from faith in Him. I would not want to share a message like that that would cause people sometimes to become so offended on my own authority. No, we go because Christ has given us authority and He's given us the message. That's what Shiloh and I were talking about yesterday morning as we walked uh, on, the, on the streets here in the neighborhoods, and, um, which we had a really great time. It, it went really well. But, but I was telling Shiloh, you know, this is really easy because of this reason. What are we doing out here as Christians? We're not... We're not going to these doors trying to earn brownie points with God, trying to earn our way to heaven. If we just knock on enough doors, then maybe God will let us in heaven. That's not our motive. We're not, we're not doing it to check a box off and say, well, we've done that ministry now, so God's pleased with us. No, we're going knowing that, hey, there's going to be people that don't want to hear what we have to say, but we're going under the authority of Jesus Christ. He said to go. That gives me great peace. That gives me great peace to know that I'm pleasing Him and that's really all that matters. And on top of that, we have a message, a very clear message, and we have the Holy Spirit and the love of God in our hearts. It's not about remembering some script, or if I just remember the script. No, it's about understanding the Gospel, right? Understanding that we're sinners, that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried and God raised Him from the dead, and God says, if you want eternal life, you must come to Him. Repent and believe upon Him. 
And you can have eternal life as a gift. Understanding that message and having a genuine love for the people, it, 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 it dispenses all the fears. I think Shiloh can agree with me. I, I was very... It, it was like, this is glorious, man. We're just... And, and, if, and if somebody doesn't answer the door, we just leave one of our flyers with a gospel message, our church info, and go to the next house. And we had some good conversations. And it, but, but it helps to remember this, guys. We're not going on our own authority. Hey, I want you to hear something I have to say. This is my opinion. It's not my opinion. It's God's Word. We love you. There's eternal life. There's forgiveness of sins. And it's found in Jesus Christ. But we go in His authority, guys. This is where I believe God can give the most timid of us boldness. Supernatural boldness. You get somebody who's timid. We're all timid, guys. We're all fearful. We have our fears. Paul talked about fears. But understanding that we're going in Christ's authority helps with all that. It really does. And if you have a true love for the people that you're trying to reach, He gives you boldness. So we go in His authority. And then we're going to look at point number two, Jonah's disobedient response. And, and so before we really look at verse two, well actually this is part of verse two, but we see this word the very first word in verse 3, what do we see? B-U-T, but. Now, now, some of you may be aware of this, some of you may not. But usually, when we talk about the word but in Scripture, we think of something like what? Ephesians chapter 2. You're dead in your sins. You're under the wrath of God. So it paints, like a, it paints a really dark, hopeless picture. But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy. Here we see a but, but it's not really positive. It's negative. We see God's divine command, and now we see Jonah's disobedient response. After he had given his command to Jonah, rise up. It means go promptly, go swiftly, get ready, go, go to Nineveh. And it says, but, but Jonah rose up. It says he rose up. So what did it say in verse 2? The Lord said, arise, right? I mean, do it promptly. Go to Nineveh. We see Jonah, he says he rose up. So he obeyed that part. He was prompt. But he went the wrong way, right? He made a prompt, decisive response of rebellion. That's what we see at the beginning of this verse. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. Says he rose up to flee to Tarshish. So, in other words, Jonah was prompt in his response. It was just a disobedient response. So, some questions to help us think about what's going on here. Says he rose up to flee to Tarshish. We'll we'll mention Tarshish here in a moment. So, why do you think Jonah refused? Why do we think? Why do you think Jonah may have refused? Just some some possibilities here to get our minds thinking. Maybe, maybe these things are going through his mind, okay? Maybe he just thinks the task is too difficult, right? This, what, did, what did the Lord say? This great city. We talked about how big it was. Three-day walk across it. 600,000 people. Would anybody really listen? How many people am I going to reach walking through the city? 
Not to mention he was a foreigner. So in their eyes, what authority did this stranger have? These things could have been going through his mind. Maybe he was thinking it was too dangerous. It was a wicked city. Uh, The book of Amos. Or I'm sorry, the book of Nahum. I always get those two mixed up. The short short book of Nahum. Listen to what Nahum says about Nineveh in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Because this could have been going through Jonah's mind. This place is a wicked, violent city. Nahum, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Woe to the bloody city, speaking of Nineveh, completely full of lies and pillage. Her prey never departs. The noise of the whip, the noise of the rattling of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, swords flashing, spears gleaming, many slain, a mass of corpses, and countless dead bodies. They stumble over the dead bodies, all because of the many harlotries of the harlot, the charming one, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations by her harlotries and families by her sorceries. No doubt, he may have been thinking that it was difficult. He may have been thinking that this place is really wicked and dangerous. I'm not even going to survive there. Listen to what a a guy by the name of Frank Page, who is a former uh, Southern Baptist president in the Southern Baptist Convention, says this about Nineveh, or about really Assyria. Archaeology confirms the biblical witness to the wickedness of the Assyrians. They were well known in the ancient world for brutality and cruelty. Uh, An individual by the name of Ashur Banipal, the grandson of Sennacherib, was accustomed to tearing off the lips and the hands of his victims. Very violent. Uh, Individual by the name of Tigloth, Pilsar, flayed victims. Flayed them like you flay a fish. Flayed victims while they were alive and made great piles of their skulls. So he says, Jonah's reluctance to travel to Nineveh may have been due to, his infam- to its infamous violence. I don't know about you, but those things would probably cross my mind if the Lord just said, Brady, get up, flee to wherever, and I know that there's the most radical, violent terrorists and you're, you're to go in there and to preach. Yeah, you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to think about these things. So, so in other words, maybe so. Maybe, maybe these things were going through Jonah's mind. Who would blame him? That's the, that's the response, right? That's the question. Who would blame him? We would think these things. A place that big, a place that violent, but, okay, and, and again, those things, Because Jonah was a man just like you and I. He was human. Those things were probably going through his mind. But the text never mentioned these as the reason. What does it mention? In chapter 4 verse 2, it mentions, we know this is a reason. Now this is after he had preached, after Nineveh had repented, after God had been gracious. Listen to what he says in chapter 4 verse 2. He pr- or I'll start in verse 1. Um, this greatly displeased Jonah, the fact that God showed mercy. Okay, It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Can you imagine that? A prophet of God becoming angry because this city had repented. But that's what we see here. 
He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. Why? For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Is that not amazing? I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. I knew you would forgive this wicked people. So that's really what we see at the heart of it. We see Jonah, this man, this prophet of God, he he has a heart problem. He has a heart problem towards these, obviously, enemies of Israel, right? Very violent, very wicked. But but that's that's what is at the root of this. He, He was a, for lack of a better word, just a prejudiced, racist man against the Ninevites. He didn't want to see them forgiven. And may God guard our hearts from those type of thoughts towards, towards our enemies. What are we called to do? We're, we're called to love our enemies, right? And so, but we'll speak to this a little more later. Listen to what James Boyce says in his commentary. Jonah would be damned, literally, before he would see God's blessing shed on these enemies. To understand Jonah's situation, okay? You know, to, to help understand, because it's easy for us to write to cast stones at Jonah and say, oh man, Jonah. To, 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 to help us understand Jonah's situation, Boyce asked us to imagine this. The word of the Lord coming to a Jew who lived in New York during World War II. Okay? Telling him to go to Berlin and to preach to Nazi Germany. We should not be surprised if such a Jew went west to San Francisco Instead, in order to board a boat headed to Hong Kong, which is the opposite direction, just as Jonah fled for Tarshish. So maybe to help us understand, maybe cut Jonah a little slack, although it was very sinful, his, his attitude, but that would, be a, that would be a comparison. And, so, and that's exactly what we see Jonah doing in verse 3. In, in verse 3, that's exactly what the, the, the illustration that Boyce gave, that's exactly what we see him doing. Fleeing to Tarshish. It said, he rose up to flee to Tarshish. Now why is that significant? What's the thing about Tarshish? Well, it's in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He said, I'm going as far away as I can from Nineveh. So he flees to Tarshish. Tarshish is located in the western Mediterranean perhaps as far west as Spain. In, in other words, the, the thing we need to know is that he intentionally went the opposite direction of Nineveh. He wanted to get as far away from where God commanded him to go, just like the Jew going to San Francisco and going to Hong Kong. He went down to Joppa and found a ship headed to Tarshish. And it says this, to escape from the presence of the Lord. Now when you read that, you think, what? Does he really think he's going to escape from the presence of the Lord? But when you think about it, guys, this is a prophet of God. Okay? This is a prophet of God. I think he knows better. But just to be reminded, uh, if you remember what it says in in, in Psalm Psalm 139, and you know that, that, that Jonah, being a prophet of God, Living really relatively late in Old Testament history, well after the Psalms were written, he would have known this. But it's good to remind ourselves of this anyway. But you know he would have known this. 
David says in Psalm 139, 7-10, Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Obviously, I think he knows better. But God, nobody can escape his presence. You realize that? If you're sitting in here and you think you could ever escape God's presence, maybe maybe in some secret sin you're involved in, we know we can't flee from God's presence. Even the even the the, the saying, and I believe maybe it's with good intention, but it's false. If you, if you reject Christ, you're going to go to a Christless eternity separated from God. Listen, you're going to be separated. In hell, a person is separated from God's love and grace, but not from God. God's wrath is in hell for all eternity. So even in hell, we can't escape His presence. So, but I really don't think that's what Jonah... I, I really don't think he's literally thinking he, he can escape God's presence. We, what does he say in verse 9 in chapter 1? He understands who God is. The sailors on the boat said, Who are you? Where do you come from? He said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You know the one who separated the Red Sea? You know the one who sent the plagues? I am a God. He is my Lord. So we know that He knew these things. But... I would say, this is just what sin does to a man. I think it's just a sin. What does sin do, guys? It blinds us and makes us very stupid at times, does it not? Sin makes you do stupid things, think stupid thoughts. My wife is very good at pointing that out to me. And what I mean by that is, I can become, I can become, um, <laughs> and I think it's, I think a lot of it's probably spiritual warfare, but I can get down sometimes and listen to things. And she goes, those things aren't true. But it just makes you believe stupid things sometimes. And if you believe stupid things, sometimes it'll cause you to do stupid things. Or maybe say stupid things. But that's what sin does. And I think that's, that's where Jonah's at right now. His sin, guys, his sin is making him do foolish things. The prophet's heart has become hard. This man has got a hard heart towards the Ninevites, towards the enemies of Israel. And so maybe maybe it's not a prejudiced heart like Jonah, like we see him having, but sin will make your hearts hard, guys. That's why we're to keep a short account of our sin with God. That's why we are to confess our sins daily. I wouldn't even say daily, I would say by the hour, by the minute. Right? You can, you can confess your sins when you're a crowd of people. But, but that's what sin does, man. Sin, it, it hardens and sin deceives and sin... Again, it causes us to make foolish decisions. So maybe it's not prejudice. But it could be a number of sins. You could just list a, a multitude of sins that you could give yourself to for a period of time and it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you make foolish decisions. Okay? So you may just examine your heart in that regard. And if you have, if you have sins that you're, that you're dealing with that you're not being honest with about God, go to the Lord. Confess Him. He's there to forgive, to cleanse us daily. Okay, so in closing. So in closing. 
the, the, the main point I told you about, guys, that I, that I really wanted to you guys to leave with today, and it's really by it's really it's really by way of application, okay? Jonah's sin, again, it's caused him to really be blinded to the privilege and honor that was given to him by the Lord. Think about who was asking him to do this? The God of heaven. The God of all creation is saying, Jonah, because I am a gracious God, I am going to use you for the salvation of a multitude of people. That sounds like a privilege, doesn't it? That's an honor. But Jonah didn't see it that way. Jonah was like, I'm out of here. And so we've got to realize something. Again, because of his sin, because of the state of his heart, I believe he forgot that completely. He took this whole thing for granted. He forgot who it was that he served, who it was that was asking him to do this. It's a privilege to serve the Lord, guys. He is the one who saved us. Amen? He is the one who saved us. He forgot what a privilege he'd been given. You know, what he, you know what he said to him? Don't burden me, Lord. That's what we tell God. Don't burden me. Are God's commands a burden to you? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Are God's commands a burden to you? Again, this was a simple command, was it not? This was simple. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah, go cry out against the city. The word of the Lord came to him. This was a simple command given to Jonah. Go and cry against the city. Go and give them my message. I'm using you. Beloved, you and I have been given the same great privilege as Jonah. It's a simple command, is it not? This is book, I've been listening to different people preach through this book. I listen to MacArthur, I listen to R.C. Sproul teach through it, and really this book has been explained as really a book on missions. It's a book on missions. Whether it be foreign missions or just local missions, this is, a, this is an encouragement for that. That God is a compassionate God. That He's a gracious God. That He's a forgiving God. But He uses us. He uses us. It's a simple command. Why is it so simple? Or, or what is so simple about it? Mark's account, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to the whole creation. Knowing what Matthew's, knowing what Matthew's account said about it. I've got all authority. This is what I want you to do. Why? Why do this? Why, why is this such a privilege? Why is it so urgent that we obey God in this commission, guys? Because like Nineveh, like we read in this text about Nineveh, humanity's sin has come up to Him. Our sin has come up to Him, which just simply means there is a judgment coming. Just like He said, it's coming for Nineveh, which He eventually executed His judgment on Nineveh and destroyed them. 
But judgment is coming to humanity. Why? Because our sin has come up to Him. And He is a patient God, but His patience will come to an end. When a man or a woman dies and stands before the Lord, just like the Scripture says, it's the day of judgment. It's appointed for a man once to die. That's death. One time, and after that, the judgment. And so why? For example, okay, just for an example, because it's recently on my mind, why do I want to reach out to these neighborhoods? Is it, again, is it to check a box and just say, man, our church does this? No! It has nothing to do with that. It's because these people living here, who are no different than we are, their sin has come up to Him. And they're going to stand before Christ in judgment. And He's placed us here. And I want to do what we can to simply reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, verse 16 says this, The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Beloved, men and women who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are not born again, they are sitting in darkness. And they might not even realize it. But they're in darkness. And who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light. He said, we are the light of the world. We take the light. We take the Gospel to them. Simply to say, we have the answer. Jonah had the answer. We have the answer. Christ is the answer. Are we going to go and take the message to Him? You think of people in your life. They're not in my life. They're in your life. And I have people in my life. And we have people that we can reach together as a church or attempt to. But, but think about the people who are sitting in darkness. Remember what the Bible says in Colossians. What were, what were we rescued out of? We were delivered. We were rescued out of darkness. But it came through this message that we have. So let's... I, I encourage you, okay? I encourage you. I'm preaching to myself as well. We have a very, 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 very short, brief life. And we have been given a clear command. Just as clear as Jonah's. And really, even more daunting if you think about it, take this gospel to all the nations. Now, maybe not all of us are called to go to a foreign nation. Maybe some of you are. I don't know. But we're all called to preach the gospel. He says, do it to every creature, everybody. I've given you authority. You don't have to have their permission. Obviously, we don't want to be rude, but we want to attempt to try to Get the gospel in people's hands. If they don't, if they don't want to talk, give them a tract. Let them take that, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You. Lord, that, that You're... You don't need us, Father. You don't need us. You could, you could fly a gospel banner across the sky and save whom You're going to save that way, Lord. But this is how You've chosen to do it, Lord. You've chosen to use weak... Creatures, Lord, weak, sinful people whom You've saved by Your grace to communicate Your message. And Lord, I pray that each one of us, Father, 
that what we would take from this message, Lord, is that You're a gracious God and that we have a great privilege. That this is the greatest privilege more than any wealthy celebrity has, more than anybody on this earth could have. Father, uh, through any accomplishment we may achieve, Father, uh, any person we may know on this earth, Lord, the privilege of being used by the King of kings and the, the Sovereign Lord of the universe has chosen to include us. Father, may Your Spirit search our hearts. May we remember God instead of, instead of walking in fear, Lord. May we remember how privileged we are and that actually any insults we receive, they're directed to You. And You take them for us. Father, we love You so much, God. We, we, we praise Your holy name, Father, for sending us Your Son, Lord. And we thank You for giving us a clear gospel message to proclaim. That we don't have to be, we don't have to be seminary students. We don't have to have our doctorate in this or that to communicate to a person that, that Christ can save them through His death, burial, and resurrection. So Father, just help us to be faithful, Lord. Thank You for giving us Your Spirit and not leaving us alone. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.